morning, Calvary. We are about to dive into lesson 11, which is the, I think the right word is the penultimate session. I think the last one is on obedience. So we are definitely in the home stretch for fundamentals of the faith. Before I pray for us, I, I was reminded of a, a passage that's actually not in the lesson today, but I think is really um, central to our role um, as witnesses and ambassadors for Christ. And I'm thinking in particular of the evangelism that occurred on Friday and on Saturday at the Bridgewater Commons Mall, which I, I imagine some of you were part of. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 5. It's a familiar passage for us that I'd like to consider for us to set the tone before we pray. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So then, we are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, he be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you for this glorious gospel that we are continually growing <clears throat> to appreciate and to understand. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would help us to have your mind and your heart toward the world generally and toward those that you bring into our lives and those that you have sent us to. We think of what your son said, that as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we don't go alone. We go with you. And so I pray this morning that our hearts and minds would be captivated by the truth of your word in such a way that our desire to proclaim the good news and skill in doing it would grow for the rest of our lives. Give us a heart for it that we would, in a, in a loving and heartfelt way, beg others, plead with them to be reconciled to you, knowing what you have offered in Christ. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your workbooks, we are on page 79. So would you follow along with me if you've got that? Uh, our memory verse for this week is 1 Peter 3.15. Might be a familiar verse to many of you, right? But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Interesting that in the context, this passage is in the context of suffering. It's in the context of opposition. Now, I don't know about you, but... Evangelism makes me a little bit nervous. Anybody? Anybody else? I was actually, my, my dad actually passed this on to me. He said, you know, I read that Billy Graham got nervous every time he spoke. I thought, Billy Graham? 
This is his job. He's doing it all the time. I think that that tells us a couple things. One is that it's a spiritual battle, right? We battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have a world that broadly is not receptive to this. Yet, God in his providence, and we saw this in Romans 8, has predestined us and others to be in his kingdom. And I think if we think about history, we think about even things that are happening today. I don't think we should be surprised at who God saves and how God saves them. So I'm praying that God would increase my faith, our faith, um, as we go through this lesson today. Our key verse on the Calvary t-shirts, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then it goes on to say, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. We, the righteous man shall live by faith. That is the verse that you may know, many believe, was the catalyst for the Reformation. That verse landing in Martin Luther's heart kicked off a chain of events that would cause this to happen, right? This to be recaptured and, and renowned, right? That it is, I recall reading about um, in a biography of Martin Luther that when he, when he saw the term righteousness of God, his soul chafed against that because he knew that he was not righteous, right? And in our flesh, we naturally rebel against it. But as we know, God saves sinners. So may God work in us in such a way that we are not ashamed, knowing the power, right, that it has done in our own lives, right, and what it does, what it has done in so many others. So our outline today, we'll talk about the call to evangelism, the good news of evangelism, the essentials of evangelism, strategy for evangelism, and application. You know, I, it's, it's interesting for me to teach this class today because I don't consider myself a natural evangelist. Um, I, believe it, I believe that I, I faithfully share the gospel, I pray for opportunities, and, and I take those opportunities when they're presented to me. But I haven't led a lot of people personally to Christ that I know of. What is success in evangelism? I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. It's God's job to save, right? Um, we sow the seed, and he brings the growth. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, Paul said, but God who gives the growth. So I hope that through this we're both energized but trusting more in God's power to do something that is impossible. We talked about the greatest miracle last week, and that is God raising people from the dead spiritually. And as the world gets darker and darker, this, this is a challenge to our faith, is it not? Right? Um, we think about the Apostle Paul. I don't know how many people, well, before he was the Apostle Paul and he was Saul, I wonder how many believers were praying for his salvation. They were probably more praying for safety from him, right? But God saves sinners. We think of what's going on in the Middle East today and praying that God will save some of those terrorists. Undoubtedly, I think he will. What a testimony that would be, right? What, what, a, what, a, what an obvious turnaround, right? What an obvious work of God. But it's no less miraculous in our lives today. So, 
The call to evangelism, what is our mission? What is our mission? Jesus said to the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You know, this reminds me a little bit of in the flow of redemptive history, what was the creation mandate? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Did mankind naturally do that? They did not. They did not. The Tower of Babel is a disruptive event that caused that to happen, right? Um, at Pentecost and then, and then with the, um, the uh, persecution in Jerusalem, that caused this to happen, right? Our, our, our forebears, our, the first Christians, were not willingly doing this. They were not obedient to Christ's great commission to go. So they had to be sent. Little did they know that what Jesus had said before, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, how disruptive that might be. Right? And this is kind of the flow of history. We see this with the ancient Israelites. You know, They were to be a, a witness to the nations. God took care of that in one sense by sending them into exile. And so... What I love about this is if you look at John 1 when it talks about being saved, um, um, let's just take a quick look at that. This is really worth thinking about. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I think I just misquoted that. Let's try that. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's idea. It is accomplished by his will, right? No dead person becomes alive, right? The gospel doesn't go forth unless God does something. And so I want us to kind of balance a couple things here. One is our inability to do it and confidence that God has done it, is doing it, and will do it. I know I need my faith to grow a lot more in this area. The commission, the call to evangelism, the commission is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which I referred to. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, we've been discussing these last few weeks the nature of the church and its purpose, right? Through spiritual gifts, right? And through the mission that God has for us. And it's, I've emphasized these things here, right? Make disciples, literally to disciple, right? Baptizing them teaching them to keep all that I commanded you, keeping them to observe or obey. I hope we understand what a, what a full commitment that this is, right? We don't simply teach content. We don't simply teach, teach truths. That's important. It's got to be based in something, but we teach them to obey, right? So, what we do here on Sunday morning in terms of teaching is, is fundamental and foundational, right? But it's how we, work it, how we work it out 
in our relationships in our lives. Glad that you kicked us off a few weeks ago. How do we stimulate one another to love and good deeds? That's what this is. We're teaching one another. We're, t- we're receiving teaching and equipping not just to know, but to obey. And that's a lot harder, right? That's a lot harder. If you know these things, Jesus said, you are blessed if you do them. That's where the real blessing happens. And in our next session, we'll talk more about what obedience means. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus said. And what else did he say? My commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that interesting? Because sometimes it seems like it is. This, if I'm honest, this commandment here sometimes seems burdensome. I'll ask you this. Why does it seem burdensome to us? Some thoughts on that. Why? Glenda, go ahead. Because we try to do it on our own and think the results rest on us. Yes. <laughs> I think I shared with you a few weeks ago what Betty, uh, 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 an admonition from my wife, Betty. Why do you act as if it all depends upon you? I'm going to connect the dots a little bit on that. Think about what we talked about last week about miracles, right, and, and, and the miraculous, right? If we think that, let me back up. I'm getting a little bit ahead, ahead of myself here, but the command in Scripture with the, with the gospel is that we'd be faithful in communicating its truth, that we'd be bold, and that we'd be clear, right? Those are our instructions. Those things, though... Do not save people. doesn't matter how clear you are talking to a dead man. That dead man is not going to rise. Lazarus come forth, right? And he came forth. Why? Right? The dead will hear and live. Jesus said this, right? So it's because of his power. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a big part of it. Um, that, um, and I put a lot of pressure on myself as a young person. That, well, if they're, if, if they're not receptive, I must be doing something wrong. Not necessarily so, right? Um, we don't want to offend intentionally. The gospel is enough of an offense, but we don't want to add to that, that offense. I was listening to a, um, a, uh, a talk by Rosaria Butterfield yesterday, and she said something really profound in it. She said that we have, we have made winsomeness the end and not the means, does that make sense? We think the goal is to be winsome. You can be as winsome as you want, right? Unless God is doing something in that, in that person's heart. And we don't know, right? We sow the seed. God brings life. That's the beauty of the doctrines of grace. We know that's going to happen, right? We don't know how and when all the time, but we sow the seed generously, right? Mike, you had something. We're not inherently holy. Well, that's an understatement, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, and I, and I think part of the reason that um, this command seems burdensome is because we have a lot of opposition, right? I think we're living in an age now where cultural, cultural Christianity is fading. It's not popular. Like maybe it kind of once was to be Christian. I don't... In my experience, it's never really been popular. I've always, you know, gotten some heat for it. Uh, or at least some discomfort for it, 
Yeah. And so, are we willing to take that? Are we willing to please God rather than men? If I were to please men, Paul said in Galatians, I could not be a servant of Christ. So we have to choose. We have to choose. All right. So that's the commission. And then, of course, the message, which is central. I love this passage in Luke 24. The, the context here is, is at the risen Christ walking with two of the disciples on the Emmaus Road, and they don't recognize him. I love this passage. Sometimes I think to myself, boy, would I have loved to, to I would have loved to be there for that conversation. Right? But as we learned last week, for those who were at the, the transfiguration, we have a prophetic word made more sure. So this account of it, our use of the, of the word of God is even better. But Jesus did this. He said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Doesn't it have to be that way? Doesn't God have to open blind eyes, open our minds to understand the scriptures? I think we, we um, sang a song here a couple weeks ago. Um, oh, great God, right? Uh, I had no ears to hear your voice. I had no taste for heaven's joys, right? Then your spirit gave me life. It's not for nothing that Jesus said, you must be born again. And look at, look at what's, what's in, in bold here. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. That's straightforward enough. Think about the gospel presentations maybe that you've given or that you hear. How closely do they align to this message? How common is it for Christians to preach repentance, for example? Yeah. I think, in my experience, not that common. And Jesus, Jesus' very first words out of the gate in the Gospel of Mark, repent and believe in the Gospel. There was no warm-up to that, apparently. He just came out with it, right? So that's important. Again, not popular. The last thing most people want to do is admit they're wrong about anything. But God says that's the first thing that you must do. And so you can see how that, can't you see how that must be a work of God? So this challenges us, right? Do we preach repentance? Jesus as Lord. I, we hear things like, well, this person received Christ as Savior, but not as Lord. That, that's going to come later. You say, well, I hate to break it to you, but because Jesus is Lord, they have not received him. Right? That's the reality. And so... Um, I think looking at this, evangelism is a lot harder, but also a lot more hopeful. Because if he is Lord, he, is, he has power to save. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. So the message, always needing to be grounded in the message. And then our role from Acts 1.8, among Jesus' last words as a man on earth, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and even to the end of the earth. 
And later on, for you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The word witness is the same word, is the root of the word that we get martyr from. So I hope we understand there's a, there's a sacrifice to doing this. But notice what the command is. Does the command say witness to your neighbor? No. Just be a witness. Jody. In your going. Like not mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Let me just say that for the the the, the, the people online. So, um, in 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 Matthew twenty eight, the go and make disciples. It's, it's as you're going, make disciples. I think so. that's what you're getting at. In, in our lives, right? So that doesn't. Net some, God will send some of us to foreign fields, but every day we're going somewhere, right? We're not in COVID anymore. Hopefully, we're going somewhere, and we're taking initiative with people. And sometimes that's hard. We need to be very intentional about that. Okay, your second thought, Jody. spreading and you're exciting yeah that's a great point jody how jesus um handled different people differently the message was the same but maybe the method was different how he was with the samaritan woman how he was with the woman caught in adultery how he was with the pharisees but the repentance for the forgiveness of sins was still taught in all of it this is really an expression it just hit me as you said that in colossians 4 that we might know how to respond to each person jesus really knew how to do that um, and he calls us to do the same. That's a great, great connection. But I want to I encourage you in this, that witness is not an activity, it's an identity. We are his witnesses. As we saw in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors. And so we're just kind of like with the spiritual gifts and all we've talked about in the design of the church, we are living out our identity. If we know him, if we are being saved, if he's captivated our hearts with the gospel, it's, it's got to come out, right? It's, it's just got to come out. I remember reading years ago, because I was really putting a lot of pressure on myself for not having led a lot of people to Christ personally. Um, and um, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the book, The Best Kept Secret in Mission, I think is by an Australian author. I, the, the name escapes me. But he said, you know, when I came to Christ, he goes, I, I love rugby and uh, and." You know, it's just a, a big part of my life. And so I, I live it, I talk about it. And so when, I, so when I came to Christ, it never occurred to me that I would not talk about the, the most important thing in my life. Right? Well, that's simple enough. Right? Why are we, why are we clamped down on that? Right? As you said, it's a, it's a battle. But this is why immersing ourselves in the truth of the gospel, right, daily. We'll talk a little bit more about that, how we can, how we can do that. Because the gospel 
is not just for, for uh, justification, it's for sanctification. We continually, as we've received Christ, so walk, right? And so I think these truths, and as we go through our daily lives, immersing ourselves in the glory of the gospel will really help with this, seeing things from, from his perspective. Yeah, sorry, I didn't put that second verse there. And then um, the call to evangelism is in love, right? We recognize John 3.16, for God so loved the world or loved the world in such a way that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, by this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, the propitiation for our sins. I hope you get from this that God defines love. We don't define love. Right? Again, that, that view of winsomeness and tone as a goal in itself, absent of truth. I think we've established, I hope, hopefully in the last few weeks, that is not love. Not telling someone the truth is not love. So, um, look back with me at, at 1 Corinthians 13. We spent a little time in this uh, a couple weeks ago. I just want to remind us of this. And this gets to the, um, the idea, I think as Pastor John Piper puts it, of, of duty contrasted with delight. We, we discover in the scriptures that delight is a duty. I could go off on that, but we'll leave that alone. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, the first two verses. If, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. How, how is your heart of love? How is my heart of love toward those around me? Right? Do these verses, do we sense God's love expressed in Christ? Is that what motivates us. It's a good quote on verse 80. I'm just uh, on page 80. I'm just going to read it. I thought it was really helpful. 1 John 4 tells us that we only love God because he first loved us. And John 3:16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave that he gave the greatest work in the heart of God, the greatest concern in the mind of God is evangelism. Winning the lost is God's great concern. It is also Christ's great concern. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The work of winning the lost is God's concern and Christ's concern and also the greatest concern of the Holy Spirit. For it is the Holy Spirit who comes, according to John 16, to convict men of sin and righteousness and of judgment. It is the Holy Spirit who comes upon the church, and after we have received the Holy Spirit, we are made witnesses, Jesus said unto him, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The great concern of God is evangelism. The great concern of Christ is evangelism. The great concern of the Spirit is evangelism, saving the lost. Is it your great concern? Is it, is it my great concern? Has God so captivated our hearts? Jesus said in John 10, 8, freely you've received, freely give. So I'm really challenging us, I'm challenging myself to maybe to be more generous with our time with our availability to do this. We live in New Jersey, right? Um, 
people shelter, right? I can't tell you how long it, it's, it takes to get to know my neighbors. It's crazy. Um, you know, it takes a long time because people are just to themselves, you know, to, to wave hi. That, that's a big step. I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully not just talking about my neighborhood, am I? Right? It's kind of like that, right? And if, if it were me, I'd sit on the porch and have people over every night. You know, people just don't really roll that way. So is that our heart? Always thinking about. That's why we're here, you know? I, I think it was John MacArthur who said, if, you know, if, if we're not here for evangelism, God might as well just take us home now. So, Lord, give us, give us your heart. Give us your heart for the lost. And then the gospel, um, being really clear about it. Um, there are a lot of false gospels. Like, there's a lot of false teaching. I alluded to it a little bit earlier. Well, you just need to say this prayer and you're good. <clears throat> no. No. I, uh, I had a friend I've shared with some of you. Um, I have one unbelieving friend, a former coworker who I've probably talked more about the gospel than any other unbeliever. And uh, he asked me the perfect question that I wish more people would ask. Mark, what's it going to cost me to follow Jesus? How would you answer that? I think I went to is it Luke 14, Luke 16. So a man cannot be my disciple unless he gives up all that he has. i got to tell him the truth. Right? And so... Off went that conversation. And so this wasn't going to be an easy believism thing, right? It, would, it was going to be a surrender of all that he had to Christ because that's what the gospel's call is. Yeah. And uh, I wish it was that clear and that easy in, in many conversations, but Lord, help us to get there. So the message, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. We see that repeated, according to the scriptures. Even Jesus, who was speaking scripture because of who he was, relied on the scriptures. Isn't that amazing? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Absolutely fundamental, right? Um, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Again, measure how you share the gospel, how you hear the gospel to what is said here. A lot of times one of these components is missing, right? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Okay, well, what about the resurrection? That means something too. That's kind of important, right? Really being grounded in the fundamentals of what we need to communicate and according to the scriptures, right? We communicate with the scriptures. Um, I heard one modern pastor say that uh, our faith is based on an event, not a book. And I thought, an, ev an event that we would know nothing of apart from the book. So that's a little incoherent, right? But we see this, I think we see this stream that um, there's pressure to not use the Bible, right? Do you feel that? Well, you can't just quote scripture, people. And why not? Um, can you share the gospel without using the scriptures? I had this conversation with several pastors years ago. Danny was there. And I, 
I was just kind of wondering what their view of Scripture was. So I just, I just went for the jugular, right? I said, okay, do you need to use the Scriptures to communicate the gospel? And it was a contentious, long conversation. That's a short conversation. That should be a really short conversation. Maybe expound on how you use it. That's the longer conversation. But if you use it, well, you know, yeah. Jesus said this, the seed is the word of God. And if you're not sowing seed, you're just spreading fertilizer. I think you can connect the dots on that. Mike? Yeah, yeah. There's a caricature which diminishes the value of the word of God. The, the, the devil, yeah, yeah, the, the devil, yeah. Satan has done a good job diminishing our view of the scripture, which, which is, by the way, why when, I think when I, I taught on Psalm 119 um, several months ago, we can never value the scriptures too much, and we always need to go back to that, right? Um, has God not said, right? That's a constant attack, and we need constant reminders, what the word of God is. So, what must someone believe about Jesus Christ for salvation? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That he is God. That's an essential, right? John 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I don't know about you, but this might be the toughest one. Right? People say, how can... How can you say that your way is the only way? What's a, what's a good answer to that? What, how how some, Eric? Yes, it's not, I didn't make it up. That's right. And if I were going to make it up, I wouldn't make this up. I wouldn't make up the one thing that would offend the most people. I probably would not do that. Right, right. Mike? Yeah, yeah. And think about that word life, right? In John 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Um, this objection that, um, well, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? He is the source of life. To reject him must be eternal death. It can't be anything but that. He offers life. And by the way, what makes us think that we deserve a choice of ways, much less even one, and this is the best possible way, right? It's incredible. I think we have to recognize that this is true. This isn't God being selfish or exclusive. This is God being as loving as he can possibly be. You need to, to recognize that. Glenda.
I hope so too. Yeah, I love what you said about diversity because we've been talking about unity um, in, in our last couple of weeks uh, of, of our lessons. And unity comes from the unifier, from having a, a, a message that, uh, and, and, a, and a Lord who unifies us, right? And I find it interesting that we emphasize that. He brings about his people from all tribes, tongues, and nations, right? Um, um, and someone who's newer to the church recently said to me, I'm amazed at the diversity of this church. Age, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, the whole thing. It's really unusual. People who, as I like to say, might not even hang together if it weren't for the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? This is what the Lord does. And, but we, if we emphasize diversity, like, and I've seen this. I've come from environments like where we emphasize that, it's very divisive. Isn't that strange? Because we're not focusing on the unifier. <clears throat> Tina. He makes the rules, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. 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 We all set rules. We're all intolerant. Do you guys take out the garbage in your home? Are you intolerant of garbage? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Right? You make decisions and judgments. Yeah. Let's not pretend that, and that's just, when you turn it around on people, let's not pretend that you're not doing that too. Let's just talk about that. Yeah. 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 But we don't like to be, it shows what rebels we are uh, in our natural hearts. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to leave a little bit of time to hear how things went in evangelism. So let me keep going here. And the third thing is that uh, there's salvation in no one else, right? There's no other name uh, under heaven given among men by which we must, we must be saved. Amazing that God, instead of seeing God's stinginess, let's see, let us see his generosity. Let's see his generosity. We saw this even in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, or particularly Eve, were, was focused on the one thing she couldn't do rather than on the, <laughs> the myriad other things that she could do, right? This is our human nature, our human nature. All right. Essentials of evangelism. I'm going to go, um, I'm going to expand a little bit from what you have in your workbook. And I'm just going to walk through, how many of you were here for the, um, the Calvary, um, the Grace Evangelism class? I think we had that sometime last year. Some of you are newer than that. Um, so these are the main points from it, and I'm just going to go through them. Um, and I found these, find these really, really helpful um, and uh, so I'm going to send out, send out the slides. You can spend some more time in them. But 
a good gospel presentation starts with God. What I realized when I first started really looking at this is often gospel presentations begin with man. Well, you're a sinner. Well, what does that even mean if I don't know who God is and what his requirements are? So we need to spend a little bit of time there. So God created and owns everything, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The world and those who dwell in it, right? We all are owned by him in one sense, right? God is perfectly holy, right? Be holy as I am holy, right? Um, in him is... Uh, in him is light, and there, in, in him there is no, God, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And then God demands perfect obedience to his laws, right? James 2.10 is a tough one, right? He who keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. God's standard is perfection, and instead of hating that, we ought to really love that. And that's what we're calling people to. And then man, what is man's condition? Man has broken God's law. Right? All has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous, not even one. And as we interact with people, I think this is pretty obviously true. <laughs> you know? I think it was Chesterton who said that original sin is the most empiric empirically verifiable fact in the universe. Just look around, you know? Um, man will pay the eternal penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love what you said, Mike. Keep reading. Don't stop at the parts you don't like. Keep reading. Very helpful. And then man cannot save himself by his good works, right? Yeah. Our, the best that we can do, Isaiah 64, 6 says, it says filthy rags. The very best that we can do presented to God is utterly unacceptable to him. That's a tough one for people to believe. That's a tough one for people to believe. But that's the reality. Okay. And then we go to Christ. Christ came to earth both as God and sinless man. In him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, it says in Colossians 2. He demonstrated God's love by dying on the cross to pay sin's penalty. Amazing to think about, just simply Romans 5, 8, right? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One will scarcely die for a friend, much less an enemy. This is what God did. This is what God did. And he rose from the grave and is alive today. Again, let's not forget the resurrection. We saw that in the 1 Corinthians 15 verse. That's part of the message. He is risen and is alive today. So it's not a matter of, who, it's not really who Christ was. Yeah, who was he on earth, but who is he? And I, and I find this super helpful in evangelism. Keep coming back to Christ. What will you do with the claims of Christ? This is what Christ said, not what I say, right? And how, how do you respond to that? And then sinners, what are we calling sinners to do? Sinners must repent of all that dishonors God, right? Isaiah 55, 7, right? Let the, let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. I think I've shared with you that when I realized that God not only, not only saw all that I did at all times, but that he knew my thoughts, I was immediately 
in terror. I definitely am going to hell then. As an eight-year-old, good kid. It's obvious. That's the Holy Spirit making this real in my heart. Um, if any man wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9, 23. You have, for telling people they need to deny themselves in an era where your feelings define reality, that's a little unpopular, right? Yeah. Um, sinners must believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. If you confess through their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah. Lordship, not optional. I've been asked, do you believe in lordship, salvation? And I'm tempted to answer like Jack Nicholson. Is there another kind? Right? There is not. There is not. And will you repent and believe in Christ? And I've had to really be more intentional about this. This is not how I was taught to communicate the gospel. And we pray for that opportunity. Don't, don't let someone get away without challenging them to repent. To, as Jesus did. He actually he kind of opened with that. Maybe we should open with that. Yeah. Again, you can see, um, I think MacArthur wrote a book called Impossible to Believe, or Hard to Believe. And you can see how the natural man would just not grab this, no matter how eloquent we are or how nice we are. So um, that's a lot. So um, if, you, if, you've, um, if, you've, if you've taken that course and um, if you have the notes, now would be a great time to review, but that's your brief, your brief recap. Now, um, have, it, have any of you heard the, the, the term lifestyle evangelism? Is that, that was kind of big, I think, maybe in the 80s going into the 90s, right? At the far end, people would say, you know, would quote, I think it was a St. Francis who said, or maybe it was, I'm not sure who said it. People attribute it to St. Francis, but I don't think that's right. Um, share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Seems necessary. Right. But let our lives and our words be consistent. And by the way, here's an area where your life can be consistent. If you sin, repent, and ask for forgiveness. That's a gospel opportunity. That's not you blowing your testimony. That's you showing the gospel. Because people, people don't naturally do that. When, when I've done that with unbelievers and apologize and ask for their forgiveness, it's very disarming. There's like nobody does that. That's not normal. It's not normal. Um, let's think about our lives, our, the character of our lives. Do things without grumbling or disputing so that you will be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This first got a lot of play in our home with our kids and a lot of conviction to the parents who were sometimes telling their kids not to complain while complaining themselves about their kids. You get that. Simply not complaining is an incredible testimony to the world, is it not? Right? Without grumbling or disputing, complaining is really the sense. Right? That, that's a way that we show ourselves, our character to be different. Right? People should look at us and say, there's something different. I remember that old Keith Green song, uh, Because of You. People smile at me and they ask me what it is that makes me want to be just like I am. I just, it's, I say it's because of you. Danny.
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can put on a good game face, but inwardly complaining. Good point. And what, what's inside has a way of making its way out eventually. And then our works, right? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then in Colossians 1.10, I think Pastor Bobby has urged us to pray this prayer consistently. And part of it is this, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and multiplying in the full knowledge of God. It takes some real wisdom to walk through this. We're not drawing attention to ourselves, but people, when they observe you, should see something good. I think it's First or Second Peter talks about this, that when they observe your behavior, we'll have no argument against that, right? But if we're persecuted, let it, let it be for doing good and not for doing evil, right? So we look, we look at our character, we look at our works, and then finally we look at our words, and we've referred to this a little bit earlier. Um, Colossians 4, 6, we talked about how Jesus did this, right? Let your words always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should answer each person. Yeah. To me, this is a wonderful adventure of discovery as to how the Word of God is sufficient. People have different thoughts, different questions. We listen. We seek to address, address that with the Scriptures. Right? We're, not, we're not oriented to what will please them, but like Jesus... We want to open their minds to the scriptures to where they are, right? And there's been a lot of insensitivity, I think, in evangelism. Standing on a street corner yelling at people probably doesn't meet this standard. I'm not saying we don't be bold, right? We ought to know how to answer each person. May God give us grace to do that. And that Colossians 4 passage tells us about prayer, and that's where we're going next. How do we do it? What's the foundation? Um, and we look at, again at our motivations. Paul reflecting on his fellow Jews who did not believe. Brothers, my, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Later on, he would say, I have unceasing anguish in my heart for them. Is that your experience? Is that my experience? Does the thought of people spending eternity apart from God, even spending this life apart from God, does that grieve you? I'm too selfish sometimes. I, don't, I got my own problems. I got to, you know. May God, again, give us his heart. And then in Colossians 4, 2 through 3, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been bound. First Timothy 2 talks about how we should offer prayers for all kinds of people. All kinds of people. So when you look at people, when you look at circumstances, is this your heart? Are these, are these your words, right? Are you, are you trying to look at things? I think it's really a... A wonderful thing to think about in any circumstance. Just look around and say, what, is, what does God see? Right? And we can't know all of that, but the scriptures can inform us in terms of what his heart and what his intentions are. And we, we can look to the example of Jesus. Looking upon the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
when you watch your, your latest unfavorite politician? Do you have that heart? Is it a heart of compassion? I know I don't. I don't. My dad, I was going on a rant, you know, this is in my 20s about, you know, a particular president, none, that, none in this century. And, uh, and my dad said, well, are you praying for him? I said, well, is praying, does praying for impeachment count? He said, he said no. Are you praying for his salvation? Uh, I'm not doing that. Do that. Do that. Again, uh, just as God had to work in our hearts for salvation, he, he needs to work in our hearts for sanctification in this area, doesn't he? That, that'll motivate us more than anything. You can have all the technique, all the knowledge, all of that. But has God so inflamed my affections toward him for what he's done for me and toward others to offer that, right? That more than anything will take care of, of all of this. Okay, and then finally, God's word. We alluded to this earlier. In the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God. The seed, that's simple enough, right? How are you at sowing the seeds of the word of God? I'm not, I'm less discouraged than I used to be when someone doesn't respond positively to the gospel. Most people do not respond positively to the gospel. But for some people, it hits them later. And it's not, and it's not just a one and done. If you've got friends, these are conversations that might take place over years. Um, I have a friend who does a lot of evangelism with Muslims. He said it's like an average of like seven to 10 years. Before he sees, you know, and that's not to say that we're doing it because that's just the reality of the investment, right? But we're sowing the seed of the word of God. And some of the seeds that we sow, we, might, we may not see the, the um, we may not reap until eternity. I heard a really interesting story that Mark Dever told of, um, of a, a man in colonial New England who was an atheist. Not many of those around, at least not professing atheists, um, who rejected the gospel's whole life. In his 90s, he's out in the field, and he remembers a sermon preached to him by John Flavel, and he falls on his knees and repents and believes in Jesus. John Flavel's long gone. <laughs> but the word of God, as Paul said, the word of God is not bound. It's not even bound by time, right? Do you, have a, do you and I have a multi-generational view of this? That really keeps me going sometimes because it really gets discouraging really gets discouraging. And then this, 1 Peter 1.23, for you are born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, that is through the living and enduring word of God. May we never lose sight of the primacy of the word of God in evangelism. I was at a, an evangelism um, seminar at a, at a church one time where um, he gave a, a kind of a, a silly story, but it, 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 really, um, it was really helpful. So do we believe that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4.12? Do we, do we believe that? So he tells a story of a, of a guy who's, who's about to be mugged, and a guy walks up to him with a knife, and he says, give me all your money. And uh, I've got this knife here, and he goes, I'm so, I'm so relieved uh, that you don't have a gun because I believe in guns, but, but I don't believe in knives. Believe or not, that knife's going to do its work, right? So it is with the Word of God. Now, let's really think about this. I, I know people who said, maybe you said this, I'm not going to share the Scripture to him because he, he doesn't, he's not receptive or he won't be receptive. 
receptive or not, the Word of God is going to do its work. And it may not do it right then. It might do it later. It might never. But we know that the Word of God does what it is intended to do. Right? So let's not base, again, this goes back to the fear of man. Right? Do we trust God to do his work by his means? So important. And this gets attacked all the time. Uh, I have a video here, but I'm not going to share it today. I'm going to put it in the slides. I, I came across this this past week. Um, MacArthur sharing a story of uh, a man from who was one of the leaders of the gay pride movement in, uh, in Los Angeles coming to Christ. And I thought it was just a riveting testimony. I was going to share it today, but I'd rather interact a little bit more with you. And I'll, I'll put this in the, uh, in the slides. It's uh, really, really helpful. It, it, it kind of, I think it, it illustrates the, our impressions of what's possible. That person will never come to Christ. Right? That's, not a, that's not someone. That person is so anti-Christ, right? Like Paul, like Saul, right? Um, let's never doubt. Let's never doubt the power of God. So let's talk a little bit with our remaining couple minutes about application. Steve, yeah. Hearing. Yeah. If people don't have the word of God, they're not going to get that faith, right? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Straightforward enough. Um, our, Lord, our Lord does not value innovation here. You understand what I'm saying? Um, we don't need to get cute, right? We do, we do want to know how to respond to each person, walk in wisdom, all of that. But as Rosaria Butterfield said, that's not the end, that's the means. The end is God and his word and the gospel. It's a, it's a, it's a place setting for the gospel, our lives. Um, and um, yeah, let, you know what? I just thought of something here. First Corinthians, I think it's in First Corinthians 2. Let's look briefly at this. Um, Second Corinthians 2. About us being the sweet aroma of Christ. Second Corinthians 2, starting in verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and manifests through us the, the aroma of the knowledge of God, the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance to, of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Look closely at verse 15 if you have it open. Who are we a fragrance to? Who's the audience? What? Not to the world. No. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are perishing. This is tremendously important. Our orientation is not to those God is saving. Our orientation is to him. and Let him do the saving. Our goal is to please him. We, we get this backwards all the time. Well, we need to be sweet to people. Well, it says here, some are going to find it odious. Yeah, that's real. Are you ready for that? This is why our orientation is to him and let him take care of the saving. 
We've got just a few seconds here. I'm just going to go through a couple questions of challenge, and then we'll pray. Where is your heart today in terms of receiving God's love offered in Christ? Have you truly repented and believed in Jesus? I'm not going to assume that everyone here has. Have you confessed him as Lord and believed in in your heart? Where is your heart today in terms of offering God's love in Christ to others? The love of Christ compels us, it says in 2 Corinthians 15, right? Is the love of Christ compelling you, controlling you? Is your life characterized by repentance, faith, and Christ-likeness in your thoughts, prayers, words, and deeds? Again, what's inside of us comes out of us. So we need to look there first. Not at our technique, at our words first, but what's inside and what will come out, right? And then Colossians 4, 2 through 6, I encourage you to pray this consistently. Be devoted to prayer, right? Pray consistently and specifically for those that God has brought into your life. And also to consider what initiative, what further initiative you might take in reaching them. And to be patient. Farming, we're not in an agricultural society. You don't just throw a seed and things happen, right? It's not how it works. Time, patience. But as the scriptures say, how it grows, the farmer himself does not know. That's God's work. So let's be encouraged and faithful in it. Father God, we are just awed that you would save sinners like us. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. And in Christ, you've done that. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Impress upon our hearts your generosity, the depth of your forgiveness. He was forgiven much, loves much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. May that be always before us, Father, the depth of your, your love for us. And... Um, infuse us and inflame us with love for you and love for others, Father, that we would um, be others' servants for your sake and for your gospel's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.